What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and reported. I had to be a different complete guy, which is the guy who walked walkways of San Quentin death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around me, it was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're gonna do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... Ooh, that's actually funny. That's, that's funny, I'll tell you why. I'm gonna... <laughs> that's a good one, man. No, I'll tell you why. All right, well, welcome to Death Row Diaries. I am Matt Ralston. And I'm William A. Nagara. And we're doing part two here of uh, of William Bonin. Um, before we begin, I'd like to say if you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, Death Row Diaries, and to take the time to rate and review the show wherever you're listening to it. It doesn't matter if it's a good or bad review. It's just part of their kind of weird system. So... Anyway, um, yeah, so this one, I, and I could tell in your voice, too, that this one affected you and, and both of us, because it, it's just so terrible, you know, that he's picking on these these teenage boys. And, you know, this is in no way any saying anything negative about the victims. It's just when you're a 14, 15, 16 year old boy, you're an idiot. I don't care if you're Nelson Mandela or Martin Luther King or whoever you are, you're still an, an idiot. Albert Einstein was an idiot when he was 15. It's just a fact. Um, and it, it really, it bothers me. This guy's such a bastard, right? Yeah, if you're a father or a mother or you have a little brother or just anybody with any kind of sense sees this as just the biggest monster of monsters. You know, a guy who, you know, victimizes children, whether it's female or male, it's their children. And um, this guy, it, it wasn't like this guy did it once every six months or every year. And that doesn't make it any better. But he was doing this constantly, every day, every other day, twice a day. And there was a an evil hunger inside this guy. And he, he started, as I said, in, in the 60s doing this, and he'd go to jail, come out, and immediately within a week get caught for doing it again. Um, and I don't think he got caught for the ones he ultimately did. He, he got caught for some, but there's some that he was never caught for. There is a estimate that he killed well over 40 children he confessed to 21 and i so yeah you're right i think we touched on it last time but just as a reminder it's cowardly because if you're gonna try and you know kill someone it's frankly quite a bit easier you know he didn't go after any grown men like let's put it that way right no he didn't and um it shows the type of monster and coward this guy is. 
when he's victimizing children. And um, as you and I spoke about, you, know, you and I were at this age. We were in that area. At least I was in the late 70s, going to the beach. How many times does this guy come across me or, or see me and then probably say, yeah, that's not the right guy to pick on. But I look different than a lot of kids my age. To him, you know, a little boy walking home is perfect target. And as you said, kids that age are very naive. Idiots, if you want to call them that, they're naive. They're, they believe in people's goodness. And when someone says, would you like a ride? They're not thinking, this kind of serial killer is going to kill me. They're thinking, wow, I, I, I'm going to make it home earlier today. Before I start, or before we get into it, because I, I want to ask you about the, the M.O. and his um, signature type of thing, but I don't know if I had, <clears throat> I don't know if it's really obvious, but it's, it just occurred to me when we were talking about this bastard that these people are uh, egomaniacs, you know, megalomaniacs. And it seems that their motivation is, well, I want everyone to know who I am and so that they can uh, you know, feel, understand that I had a rough upbringing or whatever. And so I guess I understand that. Did they not get the part that people are going to know that you're a horrible, disgusting, <laughs> like, like vile, awful individual? Like, I, I don't understand the connection between those two things. Yeah, I don't think there is a connection. I know it sounds kind of crazy, but I, I think he's driven. Him in particular is driven to do this. Um, it's, I don't think it's a mental issue. I don't think it's a mental health issue. Yeah, he's egotistical. So are half the boxes in the world, and so are half the people that are in social media or, or movie stars. But they're not out there killing children. This guy had a particular appetite, and he did everything and anything to quench that appetite. Um, and you asked about MO and signature and stuff, and there's, there is a difference, sometimes it's slight. So MO is, you see the cop shows on TVA, and they always say method of operation. It, it actually stands for modus operandi. And what it really basically is, and there's a difference, it's basically a learned behavior. And, and, and serial killers, unless they're perfect, from the very first time that they kill somebody, they'll modify to get better. So, so in other words, it's the method of committing a crime in a manner that's more prone to success. So he gets better at what he does. That's the MO. Now the signature is different. Sometimes they're, they're, they're kind of close, but a signature is not an MO. It's a ritual. And it's unique to that particular killer. It's something that's not necessary to successfully commit the crime. So let me give you an example, okay? So it's only necessary, and I'm talking about the signature, in the killer's mind to quench a particular psychological or emotional need. And it's it's just a ritual. And I'll give you an example. You know how you watch baseball players? They come to the plate. And the guy will loosen his gloves six times. He'll look at the sky once. He'll touch his hat. He'll spit once. And then he'll drag his left foot across the plate once. All that is his signature. It doesn't help him hit the ball any farther, but it helps him in his own mind. He 
thinks he has to do that. So in terms of a serial killer, let's say the killer strangles his victims, but at the end, he turns them over and draws a cross on the back of their neck. That's his signature. It's not a signature like you write. It's a signature because he thinks he has to do that to make himself commit the crime or it helps him commit the crime, but it's only a psychological need. That's it. That's the difference between the two. And often on co- in cop shows or detective movies on television, they, they mix the two up. The signature is what separates the killer from other killers and how law enforcement, if they know what they're doing, will know what to look for. And they normally do not release the signature to the press or to the people. Otherwise, of course, the killer would change it. So that's it. Well, yeah, that, and again, that's a little bit of his MO plus signature. He liked to, and this is, again, really hard to speak about. He liked to attack the children's genitalia by, you know, stabbing them there and masculating them. Um, it's just really bad stuff. But he had several little signatures he could do. Well, did, did I get it? Did I get it wrong? Because maybe, I know you just explained it pretty, you know, eloquently, but did I, did I not get it right? No, no, you got it right. It's just he had several little things he did that were pretty much part of his signature. Like he'd leave kids next to freeways or roadways. That can be looked at his signature. Um, what he did to the children... You have 60 seconds remaining. ...was part of his signature. And, um, I mean, just talking about it has my blood pressure going on because this guy was such a piece of garbage. But I think the, the listeners would be very interested to know that he carried on his behavior even while he was in prison. Of course, not with children, but he was able to relive and live those moments here in his cell on death row. And I'll explain that as I come back. Yeah, we need to hear about that. So I'll talk to you. Thank you for using Global Tell Link. Hey, um, so yeah, I guess if we have any new listeners to state the obvious you are on death row and you were forced to um you know interact with this guy so what did you mean that he continued it while in prison yeah so um so let's obviously state the obvious of course i am on death row and i am here um because i was convicted of a crime i've been here for the past 34 years but I wasn't forced to actually have to deal with him or the other killers what, or serial killers because they're mostly in protective custody. What I did was I spent a lot of time observing these guys. I made it my business to learn as much as I could about them. I saw um, value in learning what they did so possibly to help somebody in the future. And um, when it came to him in particular, nothing happens on death row that... The other convicts who are watching or paying attention don't notice. The one thing about William William Bonnie that was very obvious is he continued to search for child pornography, uh, receive photographs from his fans because serotonin have fans. Um, and he, as well as a guy named Lawrence Bitteker, who also was a child molester, rapist, serial killer, and who at the point before he died was probably the porn king of death row, he would deal to William Bonnie what he wanted and what his particular case was. 
Now, we have to remember that this was in the 1990s. At that point, there was no censorship of what you could receive in prison. And this was a level four prison at that time. Things have changed since then. We're no longer allowed to receive any type of pornography or anything else because the rules of the prison have, uh, well, they stopped that for the obvious reasons. But with William Bonning, at that time, he continued to receive fined by those items. I know that for a fact because I paid one of the individuals close to him to tell me what he was getting, what he was looking at, because I was taking notes. And I know that sounds kind of far-fetched, but even at that time, I was already studying these guys. And when I say these guys, I mean serial killers in general and people on death row. I'm a student of human behavior, and it interests me to find out why these people act the way they do. In terms of serial killers, it's really hard to pinpoint why they do what they do. But with William Bonnie, it was compulsive. When you said he had fans, I think is the way you put it. That's really yes, strange well, to me. The word, it is, it's very strange, but the word is death row groupies. And he has them, had them. Um, some of the other serial killers that are here had them, have them. Richard Ramirez is another guy, had many fans, hundreds. When I'm on the same, I was on the same tier with him. And when the mail cart would come in, Richard Ramirez would receive hundreds of letters from women across the world. So these are mostly, I guess you just answered the question, but these are mostly women. Well, not necessarily. And William Bonnings, it was men as well. So and these are like who, aspiring child killer rapist guys or what? Yeah. Unfortunately, that's it. You can't stop someone from writing somebody in prison, even if that person's William Bonning. And he had other men that would write him. And of course, those men, you could say they were aspiring. They were fascinated by these guys. Um, Look, the truth of the matter is that the people listening to the radio right now, or listening to, I'm sorry, to the radio, I'm still back in 1975, <laughs> right? Listening to this podcast are interested because there's something about serial killers, about prison, about true crime that interests a lot of people. And these people aren't are unique in that they're the only ones that want it. A lot of the population are interested in this. In that same uh, term, there, there are people out there that are obsessed with these type of killers. And it's not because they want to buy their signature. They're actually interested in the crimes they committed. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm in, in the, I guess that would be the former category, but um, it, it is interest. I'm interested in why someone would ever do something like that. That doesn't mean that for one second to state the obvious I admire that person at all um, I mean how does that break down like is it well the yeah well you would be different you would not be one of the people that would write this guy to no, praise him or to, of course not but there are people that do that and that's why they wrote this guy and it happens in a lot of these serial killers like every weekend even now I hear the names of a lot of these serial killers being called to the visiting room. For the most part, the people that are visiting them are not law enforcement or normal people. There are people that are interested in serial killers for 
their own depraved reasons and because they want to get close and take photographs of these people and you know they think it's something uh interesting I mean, I, look I, I can't sit here and, and, and say they're absolutely wrong for doing it i've been studying them and i've been observing them for uh for years for decades but my interest is you know purely to understand them so you know i could write about them and, and it's part of my research right and and on that token and we're we're gonna get uh really soon to when this guy gets executed but um if you don't mind me asking so when you profile these sort of you can't have a uh successful relationship with someone uh who's never gonna get out of prison can you or can you i don't know well of course you can but women do it all the time. I mean, they meet a guy in prison, they start writing him, they come to themselves, they become friends, they fall in love, they, they have a relationship, they get married. I mean, it happens all the time. Um, how much that relationship fulfills that person? This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. It's really based on, in some ways, how what kind of self-esteem that person has. At least in, this, in the case of serial killers, I'm sure there's people that have fallen in love with someone in prison guy's a nice guy and I'm not here to judge that but in terms of serial killers most of these women that I've seen like I observed several women come to see different serial killers Richard Ramirez um, you know a bunch of them and most of those women are you could look at them and immediately tell okay there's something wrong with this person <laughs> you know they're, they're you know, I mean, come on I mean it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at a person and say she has issues and most of these women have serious issues. Now, whether those issues uh, should land them in prison or not is, is a question that I'm not here to answer, but they have certain needs or certain issues or, or uh, they're uh, obsessed with this killer. And at some point they believe he's innocent and he feeds into that and it goes back and forth. I mean, they don't always last a long time, but um, in my opinion, yeah, there's something definitely missing in their life. And, why else would you seek out a serial killer to fall in love with, especially if he's there for killing children or killing women and raping them and doing all the stuff the serial killers do? Yeah, and, and I, I probably should have differentiated very strongly between those two things. There's a huge difference between, you know, making moonshine and selling, you know, ecstasy to people at raves and raping and murdering children. Those are, so I, I didn't mean to, like, you know, lump everyone into the same group or anything um anyway yeah, no, no. yeah. <laughs> it's it's i mean it's it's something that you would um i've sat there and watched um and i keep using the name richard ramirez because at some point he was the one that had the most women coming to see him and uh <laughs> i would sit a, you know a few feet from him and just kind of glance over and watch to see what he was doing and these are fully contact visits there on death row you don't have physical acid between you now you do because of COVID-19 but if COVID-19 protocols were not in place guys on death row receive contact visits uh, which is fine and there's nothing wrong with that but these women you can tell are hanging over the guy and there's obviously an attraction there and I just sit there and just shake my head you know to myself although i'm sitting there observing them because i want to study them i'm thinking jesus freaking christ what in the hell happened to that person to want to make them come see a guy like that bill hicks if you remember the comedian who passed away in the 
Hades, unfortunately, his joke was, I can't even get a girlfriend. <laughs> right. And it's, it's really yeah, disgusting. No. Absolutely. And, and these women, this is, the, this is the crazy part, Matt. These women, well, some of them, are not bad looking. They're actually really good looking girls. They're young, early 20s. But, yeah. So, but in terms of William Bonnie, uh, there was a different type of groupie going after him. And it wasn't really some women because he's obviously was gay. Um, the groupies were basically men that would come to see him. And um, his whole, um, I guess, focus was just trying to get photographs and continue that same perversion. Like, as I said, it never left him. He continued to obsess with that. And as I said in, in our earlier interview, he... Um, he played cards with a number of different serial killers. These guys got together, they talked about their crimes, and they shared uh, victim photographs. There's something that most viewers or, or listeners don't know is that when you're on death row and you're part of your defense, you can ask the DA's office, your attorneys, to send you photographs of all the victims. And this guy, like many others, had photographs of the victims and they were reliving the crimes like trophies and that's what serial killers do they, they go back and they think about it and relive the moment and it was made very easy because as I've mentioned before and what taxpayers don't know is that when you vote the death penalty in you actually give the guy a suite you give them attorneys you give them an entire team of them and what they get is a resort living situation including souvenirs from their crimes. That's really disturbing and uh, unfortunate to hear. And I would, I guess I would like to point out that I am a fan of what the ACLU does for the most part. And I am a civil libertarian. And I also think if you're going to visit that guy, you might have to be put on a list. I agree 100%. And see, I'm not a libertarian and I'm not an ACLU guy. As you and I have spoken, I'm more conservative because I've seen what... See, politicians never tell you when they want to be hard on crime what they're actually giving you. And of course, the taxpayer doesn't have the time to research what really happens when you get the death penalty. And it scares a lot of people, even the defendant. But once he gets to death row, aside from being in the most dangerous situation in the world... The benefits that you get far outweigh, and, 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 the, and they outweigh, of course, the death penalty because in California they've only killed 13 people since 1967. But William Bonney was one of the ones they executed. But the rest of these guys, at least the serial killers, they had a time of their lives in some ways because they get to relive everything they want because they get everything that they need. And the taxpayers should know that when they vote the death penalty in. And that's what tax what the politicians don't tell them. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I know that you know the stats. So per prisoner, what I mean, I live in California and pay taxes, so this is uh, a tremendous waste of money, uh, obviously. <laughs> yeah, and it's obviously it's not worth it because it's not being carried out. And uh, I'll give you the numbers real quickly. $45,000 to $46,000 for a normal guy doing life without the possibility of parole. 
guy on death row, $106,000 per year is what that's what taxpayers have to pay for him. And he gets all the benefits. Hi, Matt. Hey. Um, so why don't, yeah. why don't we pivot to... Um, and I, I think I've gone on record as being not in favor of the death penalty, but in some twisted way when I'm kind of glad this guy got killed too. You know what I'm saying? Does that, does that sound screwed up? No, it doesn't. And when someone does what this guy did, he deserves to die. Um, and, and as I was saying a little while ago, I was saying that the death penalty is wrong only because the taxpayers being duped. But for guys like this, for th that's what the death penalty was written for. It was written for guys who were irreparable, guys who there, there was no rehabilitation from their acts. This guy is the poster child for someone who should have been executed, was executed, and the world's a better place for him being gone from it. Now, he admitted to murdering 21 boys and teenagers. He, you know, he showed the police what he did, everything. When they asked him, what would you be doing if you were free? His response, and I quote, I'd be killing. I can't stop killing. It got easier each time. This is a perfect example for what the taxpayers believe that the death penalty is for. A guy who is irrevocable. You can't fix this guy. And if you let him out, he would do the exact same thing over again. In his own words, he said he'd be doing it. So you're not uh, mistaken for one this guy did. I'm sure that all the listeners feel the same way. And if you don't, oh, I can tell you, you've got, you got issues. Yeah, yes. So what was it like when that, what, what date did that happen that he was... Uh executed okay well um he was like most cases taken from his cell and put in north sag and i will say this with a medical certainty the majority of guys that i knew were watching this their words were the convicts that i associate with not that i study the ones that i associate with and talk to their words regarding this particular guy was, I can't wait for them to kill him. Maybe they'll, something will go wrong so he has to suffer more. Or maybe if they can kill him, they can revive him 10 more times, they can kill him again. That's how the guys on the row who are normal convicts felt about this guy. So he was not leading this world with any fans, at least on the row. The majority of guys here wanted him dead. So he really... In, engendered no sympathy whatsoever. It seems like everyone that met him despised him, unless they were also like a child rapist killer guy. Absolutely. That is the exact thing what was going on. And I said, I heard the conversations, I was a part of those conversations, and I felt the same exact way. He was also the first person that was put to death by lethal injection in California. So there's a huge uh, media circus going on outside the prison, inside the prison. Newspapers are contacting guys in the room trying to get opinions about what was going on. So yeah, it was a big deal. Uh, so was it similar to the Robert Alton Harris thing where there were you know big rallies outside the, the prison gates and stuff like that? It was... There was a lot of attention because 
there were people who were against the death penalty that were here and those for the death penalty were here, but then there were also the other group who were here on behalf of the children that he killed. So you had, really the problem with people that are against the death penalty in some cases is they forget about the victims and they forget about the guy who did it and they're just fighting for a cause. So you don't see William Bonnie, you see the death penalty and you're against it. Well, there was a lot more people for it at that time because they said, look, it's, it's not cruel and unusual punishment. You basically go to sleep and that's it, you die. Well, with this guy, a lot more people wanted this guy dead. It was a media circus outside because of that and because of who he was and what he did. Yeah, and, and the lethal injection, I, I think we've touched on it before, but... I mean, that is probably the most humane way of killing someone, if there is a humane way of doing it. Um, so it's not like he suffered. Um, well, you know, I, I don't know that. I've never been executed before, so I don't know. <laughs> I know that the people that witnessed uh, some of the executions that were lethal injections, they said to the person, it looked like he was going through some type of pain. Now, let me... Let me be candid, okay? I mean, this is something you probably won't hear from somebody in my position. So let me be candid. Um, if that was one of if that was one of my boys, one of my sons, or my son, that someone like that uh, did those things to him, I'd want that person to suffer. So I don't know um, in the, in that guy's case should it be relevant because of the things he did to those kids look if, if there was a way and again this is politically incorrect and everything else but but i'm just that guy who's going to say what he feels if it were up to me given the situation given the individual i would have had him executed i would have revived them done it again to him revived them again and did it 37 times to signify the children that he murdered so that's how I feel about it. And I know that people are going to feel kind of like, Jesus, this guy. But look, he killed children. And if you don't understand that, then please go see a psychiatrist. Yeah, I think um, you might you might know this better than I do, but I believe it's Genesis that says an eye for an eye. Is that right? Yeah, but I hate to <laughs> I hate to cross in the religious spectrum to bring in all the religious fanatics in this thing. So let's just forget about religion for a minute. Let's just call it for what it is. As a father, it, <laughs> that's how I feel about it. It has nothing to do with religion because I know it, it seems like the words I'm saying are a lot more offensive than a religious piece spat here. But yeah, it is eye for an eye. I don't know if I actually believe that because in some cases it doesn't fit the bill. But in this case, because we're talking about this particular guy, it absolutely does fit the bill. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was getting at. You're right, though. That it's not a... The concept doesn't apply all the time, but in this case, I would say, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. So... I mean, I was going to say, look, even his own family didn't come to see the execution, to see him off, to... Um, they didn't even claim his body. And I'm jumping ahead of myself, but they didn't even claim his body. His body was cremated and was thrown in the Pacific Ocean. 
I love the Pacific Ocean, so I, I kind of have a problem with that personally. Um. <laughs> I do too. You know, being a, a Southern California surfer, that's a big issue for me. <laughs> yeah, why are you allowed right? to litter? The, the execution as it drew near, there was something going on that I don't know a lot of the listeners know about. And it was this. Prior to the execution, which was supposed to take place at 12 midnight, um, there were a number of children's parents who he never confessed to, but the kids disappeared at that particular time. No one knew what happened with them. Those families were contacting the prison, they were contacting the governor's office, asking for it to be stayed in order for them to ask questions about their children. A lot of these parents didn't have closure. And I knew that was going on at the time. And obviously he wasn't answering those questions. Why he chose to admit to the 21, but he wouldn't admit to any other, no one knows. But that was a big thing, even at the last three minutes before his execution took place, because it was, they actually marched them in there at 12.03. They were trying to inject them or stick the needle in his arm, but they were at technical difficulties. They didn't actually get it into his arm until a few minutes later. But even at that time, they were trying to contact, I mean, the families of the children were trying to contact the governor's office, trying to stay so they could just ask them the question about their particular child. I'm assuming that those people in their hearts knew that he had done it, but I guess they were trying to get a, you know, an affirmative answer or something, if that makes sense. They were. Yeah, and even one of the, the, the mothers of the children that they knew he had killed had even corresponded with William Bonnie. And one of the things that he liked to tell his the victim's mother was that her kid, her child, was one of his favorites because he screamed so much. Can you believe that? No, I can't. It's absolutely true. I, I mean, I want right to dig the guy up and, well, I mean, he's in the ocean. I, I Now I want to personally kill him. Exactly. Now you know why I feel the way I do about this particular guy and basically all serial killers and anybody who harms a child. And that's the issue I have right there. He had no remorse. To I'm, tell the mother of a child those type of things, he deserved to be taken out and shot right there. You know, I don't feel sorry for any of these people, but is there anything else you want to say? Well, yeah, that he was, yeah, well, that he was actually executed at 1213. Um, and prior to that, of course, he, just that he, his last meal was two pepperoni and sausage pizzas three pints of coffee, ice cream, and uh, six packs of Coke, Coca-Cola. And that was his last meal, and then he was obviously executed at 12, 13. And a, a little bit of a, a sidebar here is that um, William Bonin, um, after his death at 12, 13, was actually, um, several officers saw him. His ghost, his... Uh, an aspiration an of him, I don't know. Um, and there have been several sightings of him walking on the first tier of East Block's Bayside over the since his execution. It's, it's a pretty well-known fact that a number of both inmates and guards have seen him. 
Yeah, so I guess if people didn't listen to the earlier episodes, um, there was, I guess, an apparition would be the right word of Richard Ramirez and that not only uh, prisoners, but but um, the employees had essentially seen him walking around after he was dead. And is this the only other dude that they had seen? Because I wasn't aware of this. Well, I won't. I won't give up too much about that. But yes, Richard Ramirez, as the listeners would will remember, we spoke about um, the book that I've written called Penitentiary Horror, which basically goes into the history of this place and how it's related to the paranormal and supernatural. And uh, there are several guys on death row who have died. Um, and one of them is William Bonney, who was executed here. And several people have seen him walking on the tears. There's been several other inmates and other uh, supernatural and paranormal events, including uh, possession by some of the guys. And I said, I won't give up too much. Uh, but yeah, William Bonney has appeared to a number of people here. Both um, guards and inmates have seen him. And it's it's not an everyday occurrence, but it, it, at least once or twice a year we hear about him appearing to somebody as well as some of the other guys that have been executed or have died here by their own hand. Has the ACLU or anyone broached the subject of uh, prisoners being allowed to have pets, like, uh, like have a cat or something? <laughs> I, I know where this is going and it doesn't, doesn't sound very good, but no. There are no animals allowed on death row. Uh, uh, no, you can't have anything like that. I'm sure if you did, bad things would probably happen. Oh, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense because serial killers like to kill animals. I didn't think about that. <clears throat> um, right. But, I mean, what, like, if you're blind, could you have, like, a seeing eye dog or something? You know, that's a good question. Huh. I don't know the answer to that. Hey, you got you stumped me on something. No, no, they make perfect sense. And, and honestly, you know, there's guys here that don't have an arm, guys that don't have legs. Um, but with the the new type of attitude towards rehabilitation, all stuff they're doing now, they spend millions of dollars on mental health for these guys. It's a freaking joke. But I'm sure if someone was blind, that they would hire them an ADA worker, which is what I used to be when I was on that yard with the serial killers. One of the reasons I know so much about them. I spent several years, almost a decade, on the ADA yard uh, providing care for <laughs> serial killers, you know, uh, every type of person here. And if someone was blind, what would they do is they would assign another inmate to him who was trained, as I was trained, in CPR and everything, to keep them around and give them um, whatever need, needs they had and he could provide them with. And now they even have um, larger cells for people who are part of the American Disabilities Act. So I'm, I'm being serious about this because I mean, it is a serious situation. But that's what probably would have happened. They wouldn't get my dog. Yeah. Um, I, well, I, I, I know you hadn't thought about it, but I was 
not expecting you to, to get such an informative answer, but thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, no, that's the problem with knowing this place inside. I figured this is what they would do. I mean, I can think of a better animal if you want to go more on the, on the jokey side about this. You know, the 12-foot alligator springs to mind that might work. <laughs> well, there was the bird man, right? We all know the the bird man guy of Alcatraz. He was an Alcatraz. Yeah, I mean, it was a hell of a long time ago. I'm just saying there is some precedent for having pets. Oh, yeah, you know, and you can have, I mean, in, even in the 80s when I got here, there was pigeons all over the years, there were seagulls, there raccoons, passive tracks, and there were a lot of cats that ran around the building, and some guys would feed them and stuff. I can't think of having one of those animals in your cell because of the way they smell, but, yeah, there's, hey, you got all kinds of guys here that, that you probably would, you know, like to have a pet like that. I, I certainly wouldn't want to a raccoon or a possum for a pet, pet that's for sure. No, I, I remember the first time I saw a possum, it scared the hell out of me. Cool. Um, well, I, I guess that's it for now. Uh, this has been Death Row Diaries. I'm Matt Ralston. This is William A. Noguera from Death Row. Cool. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Good night.